Hello everyone, welcome to Struggle Session. I am Leslie Lee Third. Thank you so much for listening to us today. If you haven't yet, please subscribe at sesh.plus or patreon.com slash struggle session or strugglesession.substack.com. And thank you, of course, to our current subscribers. We got some new ones, Dustin, Christopher, Eric, Matt, Greggy, Nathan, Alexandra, William, Paul, Jen, Sam, Apocalypse Later, Vaskin, Jack, Garrett, CL. Thank you so much for subscribing to the show. We could not do this without you. Check out the merch at strugglesession.shop and leave us a voicemail at sesh.show. Today, I am joined by a very special guest. He is the co-host of the Podside Picnic Podcast, as well as a science fiction writer with a story in the brand new anthology, Speculative Fiction for Dreamers. Carlo, tell me about Speculative Fiction for Dreamers. So uh, I have a short story in there that opens out the collection. Uh, so before uh, you think, well, I just want to hear that one short story, there's about 37 other ones, and it's a 400-page anthology. It includes some comic books, too, and poetry. So, uh, you know, you should probably go over to the Ohio State Press uh, website and order it, or for wherever you may get your books generally. And tell us about uh, your short story. So my short story is titled How Juan Bobo Got to Los Nueva Yores. Uh, and it's basically Juan Bobo is a Puerto Rican folk hero. Uh, he's generally a kid uh, who's like a combination between like um, sort of Simple Simon and Amelia Bedelia. Uh, so generally speaking, either through um, sort of willing uh perhaps willing uh, misunderstanding of rules does manages to do the right thing anyway. And uh, so it's all about him actually migrating to New York uh, somewhere in during the first world war and like the struggles that he faces there. Now tell me about a little bit about the perspective of speculative fiction for dreamers because it's not just random sci-fi stories it is latinx perspectives with a certain uh bend towards yeah in general uh i think uh a lot of the other stories uh, do deal with um sort of like the idea that uh you know especially amongst more sort of like Mexican Americans or Chicano uh, literary figures, you know, they've been, they've been part of the U S other people have, have come to the U S and will continue to be here. 
And it's sort of like this general idea of bringing um, perhaps awareness of sort of more Latinx perspectives to speculative fiction in general. Like it's nothing to suggest that literary fiction, that you will learn something interesting or new from immigrant voices or black voices or Hispanic voices, but it feels like it's a con or, or women, but it feels like a very controversial thing when you say that when it comes to genre fiction, it's like, oh, we're all in, mm -hmm. <laughs> when it comes to sci-fi, oh no, we're all blue and green and none of that stuff seems to matter. <laughs> but clearly, it, clearly you get like when you hear from more people with different perspectives and different beliefs and different cultures, you're learning different ways of like, just for as a reader, just enjoying sci-fi, learning new, finding new ways of looking at the genre that you love. Yeah, I mean, in general, um, I think, and and this is, uh, I think it's a, a general trend that has uh, probably been for the better in speculative fiction in general, which is that instead of having, oh, these aliens, they're blue, but they're really ex-marginalized you know, community or whatever, uh, or this robot, look how sad he is, they overwork him. And instead of that, we just get, now we generally get more people that are represent like the people that are supposed to be represented by the robots or the aliens included in the stories. And in general, I think that's just a better thing altogether because it dispenses with this idea that somehow through this abstraction, it's going to teach anyone that, Oh wow. You know, <laughs> th this marginalized group has a really bad win. In fact, generally speaking, the reader is going to come away with that. Wow. That was, it must be a bad it must be bad to be a robot. Damn, it must suck to live on Tatooine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, you know, at the very least, you, you, you put the people that, they're, that are supposed to be represented through this abstraction directly into the story and you sort of connect that. I don't know, and, and generally I'm agnostic on whether you you can teach anyone anything through a story, but at the very least, just put the people in it, man. It's it's not it's not that difficult. Yeah. Very awkward shift to the book we're actually talking about today because this is a book <laughs> that does not seem to have very much regard for the human species at, on a whole or even life itself uh the book <laughs> itself is possibly antagonistic uh to life and it's uh, i i guess uh, obvious uh, obvious theme of this is that the universe itself is antagonistic uh if not to life or uh, consciousness and i'm talking about peter watts's blind sight which is a book i've talked about since i've read it i only actually read it once i didn't feel the need to reread it for this episode because it's ingrained in my brain since I, I did it the first time. <laughs> I haven't stopped thinking about it. And Carlo, uh, this was actually, you told me the first time uh, you've read it. Obviously you've heard about it because this is probably one of, if not the most talked about, at least on, on online circles, modern sci-fi book, I think of the past 10 years. Just a lot of people talk about lots of chatter. Reddit is very big on the book and Peter Walks uh, for reasons that are, uh, we'll get into it a little bit. There, I, this is not the most perfect book. It's not the best written sci-fi book I ever read, but it's certainly one of the most interesting. And I, I'm just interested, what did you think of it after reading it? And I'm sure you've heard the hype going into it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've heard about this book for ages now. Uh, you know, everyone, 
to a certain degree, I think that it's because it's so bleak in its outlook. I think that it's sort of gotten, I don't want to say forgotten, but definitely isn't what someone would hype. Uh, and I think I came up with a blurb for it, which is like, imagine if Rust Cole from True Detective wrote a first contact alien story <laughs> with all of the Ligadian uh, sort of aspects of whether consciousness was a mistake or not, you know, and I think that sort of gets close to uh, the general vibe of this book. Uh, it's, it's such, it's so dense. It's got so many ideas in it and all of them sort of like careening and like pinballs hitting different things. And some of them light up and some of them, uh, I don't know. Yeah. They, they, they may be delayed. <laughs> yeah. There's a few things in here. Like for, so even though this is a very, um, op at times opaque, uh, book it is it's obviously a work of deep deep personal obsession by the writer Peter Watts he's a he's an interesting guy in general the way he puts out his books markets his books he's been putting out this stuff like you can read out most of his work I think for free on his website and he's been publishing stuff on his website and it's high quality stuff like very high quality uh, stuff I, I, I hazard to say high quality writing because even though I enjoy his writing, I can imagine a lot of people being immediately put off with how dense he is, how much he uses symbolic language, and also very like sort of cold <laughs> symbolic language. Not not symbolic language that makes you warm up, it makes you think of a lost love or a sweetheart. Just very and even not even necessary language that like grosses you out or scares you. Just very cold and mechanical at, at times. And I can see that turning um people off. I the sequel to Blind Sight Echo Proxia is actually a book I did have to put down. I was like I, I can't do this. And he actually wrote um he and he uh, this is I, I told this story in the podcast. He wrote like a Reddit post like explaining it. And he's like and he's not like the type of writer who's like like groveling to the fans or anything. But even he kind of realized that okay with this one like people didn't even know what was happening because every other you know every other sentence was a metaphor of a metaphor of a metaphor um so but i digress but you know on the whole i i think blindsight as opposed to echoproxia even though it has very hard sci-fi lots of dense language lots of stuff on the whole once you get into it it becomes this really great like sci-fi thriller story and really like captivated and scary one yeah i mean um the 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 fact that uh so do we want to get into just a, a brief sort of synopsis? Oh, please, this is... please. And please, if you don't mind giving it, because you did just read it. So if you, if it's all still <laughs> That's immediately fair. fresh to you, please. Yeah. So, so, uh, I mean, the, the narrator is uh, Siri Keaton, yes. who has, who has like basically uh, half a brain and like a synthetic brain. And um, so it's told from his perspective and uh, he says that it didn't start with this uh, sort of global phenomenon that's called sort of like the firefly effect or the fire yeah. firefall or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So the firefall was the was basically the real first contact with aliens, where humanity, what, where all of Earth was covered in these like little tiny drones that just blanketed the earth. And I should say there is a blind sight 
short film now. So I actually would recommend if you're getting in, if you're about to read this book, watch the short film because it shows you what you're supposed to be trying to figure out and visualizing mm -hmm. without any real spoilers uh, from what I from what I saw. And it's a, it's really well done. It's like a CGI uh, movie. It looks mm -hmm. really, really uh, good. But check that out if you have not read uh, Blindside. And if you have, definitely uh, check it out. And so there's, uh, there basically we are... Um, scanned by these uh, entities out in space, humanity uh, freaks the fuck out because they this the technology was far beyond anything we had, and it was just like as simple as we would like scan something in a video game. They were able to see every single thing we had on Earth, and we freak out and send a vessel, a crew out to go uh, to where we think the source of these uh, little drones were, these fireflies. Yeah. And so uh, the, the vessel is ominously called the Theseus. <laughs> so it's literally the ship of Theseus yes. uh, going out into the... In, supposedly they're going uh, initially to the Kuiper Belt, which is um, like a, an asteroid uh, cloud field between, I believe it's Earth and Mars. I'm not an astrophysicist, so please don't cancel me for this. Uh, just go look it up. Um, but anyway, the, the fact of the matter is that's not really relevant because where they end up when they wake up is that they've been rerouted to the Oort cloud, which is like this, like the supposed, uh, cloud that surrounds our solar system. Uh, they're the fuck away from like even Pluto and shit. And they run into this. Uh, what you would call in sci-fi circles a big dumb object, which turns out to be not dumb at all. <laughs> <laughs> it is actually intelligent that is circling. I believe it's circling like a brown dwarf. Uh, and it's just, it's it's hard to really explain exactly how it looks because I think it's, it's explained like a crown of thorns yeah. and sort of growing the size of a city yeah massive uh growing in on itself in ways and patterns that might be purposeful but no obviously not the product of any sort of human mind or intelligence and they're investigating it and we should mention um this isn't just a sci-fi story this is a hard sci-fi story so all of this like the fact that they're diverted is like a big deal. They can't just, you know, gas up at the next warp station and like, <laughs> you know, go back. Like it's, it's a big deal. They have to, you know, this is, they have to be in cryo sleep. Uh, it takes them decades uh, to make this journey. When they get back, they know going out that probably everybody they know is uh, going to be uh, dead and gone. So it, it's a little bit harder than that. But also there are vampires in the blind side oh, universe. Such a Oh, it's such a great, weird addition to the entire the entire thing. Um, as a as a brief aside, um, this novel uh, and and I forget if I asked uh, the the author Scott Jones uh, about his when we were interviewing him for his um, his book uh, Stonefish, um, where it, Stonefish has like this multifactorial sort of future where it's like several different vectors happen at the same time it's not just a one big thing that happens and then that's the part of the future that you're sort of supposed to be speculating on this is like like blindsight has transhumanism 
it has like cyberneticism to a certain well i mean i guess that's in under transhumanism but also like a, a fake heaven it's a cybernetic yes. heaven uh there's vampires yeah because yeah so why not yeah so <laughs> this is great so the society i think of is kind of like a ba- a basic kind of near future society maybe a little bit of you know, maybe Minority Report ish. We don't. I don't know how much we learn, but it. You know, capitalism's still going. Uh, technology has gotten better, but people, humans, have started to uh, kind of check out of uh, meat space and just dive into virtual reality, which they call heaven. Uh, much even when they have like real people in their lives who are not going to heaven, they will still leave them. Uh, Keaton's mother decides, I believe, was his mother or, I think, or a girlfriend? I think maybe both. Uh, no, his his mother his mother uh, ends up in heaven. Uh, his girlfriend, and that's the thing. I think that he and his girlfriend Chelsea uh, only ever meet online, so they don't really ever. Like that's another thing that apparently that um, you just go online, sort of like uh, Demolition Man style, and <laughs> you go virtually to have sex, and that's it. <laughs> For some reason, we have decided to bring back vampires, vampires who are in in the Bond uh, site universe were like an evolutionary uh, not cousin distant cousin who were predators of homo sapiens so it was not like a su- supernatural vampire thing they were just a species and their aversion to crosses as is explained like a genetical yeah like a right angle so that's why they're afraid of crosses or something like that it's all very is completely science vampire full science vampire no uh supernatural abilities and we find their dna and decide to bring them back because they're very analytical and we can use them uh to do things like cop uh like be the captains of these uh deep space voyages without worrying about them acting like humans uh might yeah, uh, I, honestly, I was like fascinated by uh, because the the character here is Juka Sarasti, uh, great which is vampire a, a great name, name. great name, uh, excellent vampire name. I gotta admit, um, but he is so weird, and uh, apparently, um, from what I was like reading up on, I think the the issue is that not only are they they're not only smarter in like the cold like the calculated iq for whatever that's worth um but also they can run sort of parallel they have like a distributed intelligence where they can run parallel scenarios in their brains at the same time and come up with like different calculations and easier and more efficiently than humans um but but yeah uh God, this 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 book is like basically hard science fiction cosmic horror because once you once you once they come into contact with the uh, the the brown dwarf, which is they dub Big Ben, and uh, the 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 construct which they call Rorschach, um, and the scramblers, which were the aliens, which look sort of like weird, brittle stars, like the actual creature that lives in the ocean. This thing just goes off the rails, man. It is amazing. Yeah, it's such a great book. It, it, it takes a while to get into it, but once it gets going... I, it gave me the same feeling that I feel when, you know, I was uh, watching something like Event Horizon or Alien or some of my other favorite, you know, sci-fi. And I was like, Ship of Fools. It, it just really 
gets going, even though it, there is this very high hump you got to get over to find out all the weird things Peter Watsey thinks about, like psychology, because there's like this weird aside where because Keaton um, had like half his um, his personality split or something like Peter Watts has some issue with how in the real world people uh, diagnose uh, what the term used to be. I think multiple personality disorder. I don't think that's used anymore, but he takes issue with how that's treated and diagnosed in the real world. So since the book takes place in the future, he like has psychologists from the future condemning like psychologists right now in the book, which I actually felt a little bit like, <laughs> uncomfortable about like you're a sci-fi writer i understand you know having some critique but like you should be peer-reviewed you can't just put your uh th theory in the mouth of a future uh psych uh, psychologist yeah i mean uh, to be fair i think that what sort of um sort of prepares you for the sort of the more spatial you know, outer space cosmic horror is the fact that transhumanism is sort of almost cosmic horror in and of itself. Uh, like uh, one of the crew members is, I forget, it's called just the gang. And she's undergone surgery to actually induce uh, sort of like disassociated identities um, uh, just as a way to, I think it's to analyze different like to basically up the brain power because you then have four different personalities thinking about something rather than just one. Uh, I don't know what the science is behind that. I do not have several, you know, like doctorate degrees in any of the fields mentioned here, but, uh, but yeah, it, it is sort of an interesting uh, thing to include in your weird cosmic horror, hard science fiction novel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, I don't want to, I don't want to dive too deep into the point by point of the plot because it's, it's worth reading, um, but I do want to jump uh, a little bit to the end. Uh, and so we have our encounter with our aliens and the discovery is uh, most horrific of all is that these aliens who have probed us uh, are not actually sentient creatures. Uh, they have built, you know, a space affairing, I don't know if you would call it a society, but uh, uh, some sort of vessel, uh, some sort of cult. I can't even call it culture. They exist. They exist and they replicate and they can travel and they were, they had the capacity, the understanding of us and the signals we were sending out to send their probes there and these advanced probes, but they're not actually sentient or conscious in a way that we would perceive and we couldn't have a conversation with them no matter how hard we tried they are just they were like, like almost like had the sentient the sentience of like a roach basically yeah yeah i mean individual it, it brings to mind that scene from um from starship troopers where the uh they're in school and she's talking about like the the uh the clandathuans or whatever the, the the bugs don't have any uh, sort of ego or any type of sense of self. Um, and, and that's the thing, like they are super smart because they are uh, apparently like a distributed <laughs> intelligence as well. Uh, but, but they themselves have difficulties 
identifying themselves. They are not a sing like they are not individuals in a in any way, shape, or form. And that's not. It's weird because it's it's not sort of couched in the old timey. Uh, you lose your individuality. Uh, type of aliens like you do back in the t- back in the day where it was supposed to be like shorthand for communism yes. or something like that. It, it's simply that they are not. Why would they ever like it, the the novel takes pains to really explain that uh, one of the reasons the vampires like the only reason the vampires actually died out in the Pleistocene is the fact that they had that right angles. <laughs> I, I do find it funny that it's uh, he the the vampire uh, has to take anti Euclidians, yeah, which seems like a nod towards H.P. Lovecraft, <laughs> <laughs> yes, but. Um, but uh, that's the only thing that sort of bumped them out. And uh, like the novel takes pains to sort of explain that humanity's idea of individuality and the sense of ego and whatnot is actually an evolutionary dead end. Yes. Uh, and given where we're at right now, <laughs> I mean, it's hard. I, to... I don't know that I disagree. I mean, it's, it's so different reading this book now than it may have been reading it during the Obama era, because of <laughs> course humanity would, we probably dodge our way around climate change and technology would keep getting better and society would keep getting better, even though we still have problems. And, but we still have, you know, some sort of ennui, but we at least get to the virtual reality. Like machines, we thought we would at least be able to get plugged in. We are we are even at that point. So it it feels kind of alien to read about the fall of this human society that we'll never even get to. Even though it's a story about like hubris, right? It's about like human humanity's hubris to think that just because we happen to win the evolutionary war for a blink of an eye, that we are somehow worthy of like spreading across the galaxy and telling and drawing signals to us uh what the alien and what the book uh, tells what you find in the book is that the aliens viewed us as a threat because basically all our like culture and art and all these things we talk about and all these things we fight about were are just fucking noise noisy to them and they considered it a threat uh because they are just you know doing what they they're just following their programming they don't have a uh thought they just do uh, it's hard to describe but they just they just follow their they don't have thoughts or ideas they just kind of follow these commands or something they have uh, they're intelligent without the consciousness so they're kind of like a machine that's just constantly working but humans aren't like that we have consciousness meaning we make noise and like they found that offensive and so they were the the reason they sent those fireflies out was to see if they needed to uh wipe us out because they were sick of our shit (laughs) <laughs> well, and, and, and it's, it's made clear, uh, a couple of times in the book that we have not, uh, you know, are you aware of, uh, the, the dark forest answer to Fermi's paradox? Uh, yes, yes. The dark forest, the uh, idea that, um, like we, the, there is, um, humanity is like isolated or if we ever leave our, um, our galaxy will be wiped out or something. It was, it's something like that, right? Well, I mean, at its core, it's you're in a, like humanity as, as well as any other intelligent life in the universe is in a dark forest. And if you make yourself known, you will be preyed upon by, you know, larger predators yeah. out there. 
And so the fact that we don't ever shield or sort of direct our transmissions, we're just like transmitting out in space. <laughs> uh, I mean, to, to be fair, that's probably what attracted the, the scramblers and whatever, whatever their culture, if you could call that a culture to us, is the fact that, wait, these guys are just chattering all yeah. the time. Let's go send something out there and find <laughs> out what they're all about. Yeah, they got and, loose lips uh, over there. What's going on over there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's sort of funny because I, I don't know that I subscribe completely to the idea, but I do think that there is some value to perhaps, yeah, maybe we shouldn't be like just transmitting willy-nilly <laughs> out there, inviting people, like with Voyager, sending people, sending a, a message out, yeah, come over here, eat us, uh, or whatever, you know. And so after we get our traditional sci-fi slasher deaths, we do end up uh, not worrying about the alien issue because um, while human while this the Decius was out, humans had just uh, got caught slipping. Um, see, the thing is, if you bring back uh, one of your natural most powerful predators, and then also the majority of your population decides to like go into like a hypersleep chamber which is basically just turns you into like a like a refrigerator maybe like a juice box maybe like a juice box like a really nice uh juice box you <laughs> most of humanity has juice boxed themselves for the vampires and the vampires we learn uh through indirect communications have uh taken over uh, the globe but we find out that these vampires actually uh they're not big on consciousness uh their self either they are very like they, they don't like to speak they speak in they like to click uh towards each other like a like a predator would and they only and once they uh, start hunting down the humans they kind of revert to just hunting hunters and so that problem of us sending the signals out and being noisy no longer an issue for our uh, squiggly uh, aliens out there because it's all just uh, quiet vampires uh, slowly draining humanity to death yeah you know a, a quiet planet is a is a very safe planet uh, and I, I gotta admit that yeah you're, you're absolutely right like uh, humanity made themselves like very tempting Capri suns for all these <laughs> uh, for all these vampires <laughs> Yeah, so uh, it's 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 such a great ending too because it it also evokes like the ending of uh, of like Moby Dick where he's like basically in a coffin floating along oh, the yeah. ocean. Poor poor kid, <laughs> and he gets to see it all, and he's just like he's on the ship by himself. Everybody else is dead, uh, and he knows like all the humans. By the time he gets back, every human will be either dead or enslaved. Like I bet the vampires would be very excited to see him uh, when he finally gets back. <laughs> Uh, no real hope in this one, like you, because you think, because really, it's a, it's a nice you know trick. You go out thinking that the aliens are going to be this pretty big problem. We're going to find out what's what, and it's like no, we've already by the time he gets back, we've already like taken ourselves out before we've even left, sent the ship out. The second we brought back the hubris coming in, the second we brought back the vampire, it was a wrap for us because I mean, it's known from the beginning that they are incredibly smarter than us and don't view us as people but as few food but the governments of the world thought they could keep them under control uh just with the uh little anti uh 
anti-Euclidean drugs. So it's, I mean, it, I, I think it, it actually uh, metaphorically works very well yes. because, I mean, I mean, let's face it, how many, how many times have we thought that we could control something and yes. we don't? So, Yes, it could be vampires, could be fracking, could be anything. It's, um, again, wonderful, wonderful uh, little sci-fi novel. I really, really enjoy it. And I actually just finished another, uh, uh, Carla, what did you think of it on the home? I, I'm, I'm, my brain is still lighting up. So, uh, I, I, I am, I'm just like really, really sort of thinking about it. I, I, I may pick up echopraxia, even though you, you've already mentioned that, uh, you had to put it down. I had to put it down. I, I would I'll try it. it I would try it again. I would try it. I'm, I'm going to try it again, but I did have to put it, uh, down at some point. But I think as a writer, he is like getting better and learning because he just put out a book that I just, uh, finish. Let me pull up the title of it. Yeah, so I just finished another book by uh, Peter Watts called uh, Freeze Frame Revolution. I guess this is a novella. And it's an uh, incredibly easy, breezy read while still being this incredible high concept. And it's about another ship uh, sent off into space by humanity. But this one, their job is to build uh, gates looping around uh, the galaxy so that eventually humanity will have, you know, a dominion over all of them. They're building the gates and the stars and the connections. And of course, uh, that takes uh millions of years to do so they spend most of their time sleeping only being awoken every few centuries for a day or here 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 and there and so it, it's taught uh, the story takes place over you know this incalculable amount of time and the people on the ship are freaking out because like what is humanity even now we're still building these gates waiting for them to come through and they're and they end up building the gates way 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 past when they were supposed to be done like the hum humans were supposed to catch up through the gates to them and say he here welcome to the you know the three uh year 3000 or whatever but they just keep going going uh going into the far far future and it tells the story about how these humans like try to build a life for themselves living in this you know completely uh in it, uh, unimaginable time frame uh, while still being like basic humans from like, you know, the 21st century. <laughs> sounds, sounds really interesting, honestly. Uh, like those, the, the, that's the type of um, sort of, uh, what is it? Following your last order type of uh, uh, story that, that can really work because especially when you're out isolated, that's, Sort of like this weird. Uh, I think it injects it with a little, little weird pathos to it, where you're like, "Well, you know, what what am I supposed to do? <laughs> what else am I supposed to do? <laughs> We're the fuck out on the on the other end of the galaxy from home, and we don't even know if home's still there. So, and if people are still uh, people, or really, really fascinating. So, I mean, again, like it's still hard to imagine like human survival. <laughs> being that far into the future but hey we can dream in uh science fiction books at least uh carlo it's halloween give me some sci-fi horror picks 
Oof. Uh, so, um, I mean, we, we, I'm, I'm sure that you're an old hat at this. So, I mean, we, we just recently, uh, discussed like the repair of reputations from the King and yellow, uh, Robert Chambers. Oh yes. Um, uh, you know, which one might be interesting to you, Leslie? Uh, I, I, I would have to hunt it down, but I, uh, it's probably in one of the, um, Chaosium reprints, uh, called Recrudescence, which is all about this. Uh, it's basically a Lovecraftian story uh, that is set on a uh, on an oil rig where they start finding that the 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 material that they're drilling into has these weird hexagonal shapes, and the sort of discovery that well, you know, that crude oil might have more than just crude oil in it. <laughs> Uh, and may serve as the basis for the, the building blocks of the old ones or something to that effect. Um, but yeah, uh, I would also say, uh, have you ever read, uh, Poppy Z Bright? Poppy Z Bright. No, I have not read Poppy Z Bright. I feel like I, because I, I feel like at a certain point you choose either Anne Rice or Poppy Z Bright and I chose <laughs> Anne Rice, nothing against Poppy Z Bright, but if you're talking about vampires, New Orleans, how many how many books can you read about that? So uh, I I have been getting back into Poppy Z Bright because uh, she is a lot more you know toward horror horror than the Anne Rice, and mm -hmm. I really enjoyed some of the stuff I read. Well, I, I'll 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 confess that I started with Anne Rice, and it's I I don't regret it. Don't to be clear, I don't regret it. Uh, I did probably read a little too much of Anne Rice. And then <laughs> that's where you started dropping off. But um, but Poppy Z. Bright is just very grimy and awful. And if you wanted to read vampires that are just grimy and sort of gross and stuff, uh, read Lost Souls. Lost Souls. I've heard uh, a, t a ton of great things about that one. In fact, yeah, I have yeah, it on my it's, shelf, it's, in fact. It's, yeah. Hell yeah. All right. There you go. And uh, I don't know if you, did you ever read, um, speaking of Bright as well, uh, His Mouth Will Taste of Wormwood? No, no, I haven't read that. If you got the um, the weird collection I, I, that was edited by the Vandermeers, yes, I do have that. Oh, that's that's her. It's, that's her. It's in there. in there. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yep. Uh, and before that, I would in that same collection, I would probably uh, recommend. Uh, I think I forget which one of the two it is. I think it's uh, F. Marion Crawford. Uh, I'm. I'm doing this off the dome so forgive me uh it's called the screaming skull uh there's also the same author did one called the upper birth which are two really great uh ghost stories just i i just love them to pieces yeah so yeah check those out and that compendium is called the weird a compendium of strange and dark stories uh by edited by jeff vandermeer and vandermeer very very good and fairly reasonable price and a big dick boy uh too but you're gonna pick up that you're also gonna pick up speculative fiction for dreamers that was struggle session thank you so much for joining us have a good one peace <laughs>